This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Matt's Plane this morning. My name is Rich Bradbury. Now, if you found last week's episode of Matt's Plane a, a little bit too manic, don't worry. Uh, this week, um, his delivery will be a, a lot sleepier because that's what we're talking about. Sleep, insomnia, and the breakthroughs that may allow us to finally uh, get a handle on the science of sleep. Hey, Matt. Hey, Richard. How are you doing? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this week is going to be sleepier. Um, insomnia is you know, obviously all about not sleeping. Uh, and a lot of the uh, the time that the mania you hear from me actually comes from that not sleeping. Mm. So this is a topic that we've covered on uh, MSP pretty regularly over the years. Now, that's partly because I am one of those people who has trouble sleeping. And I have had ever since I was a kid. You know, even when I was in primary school, the sun would regularly be up before I fell asleep. Um, obviously, that it's not as bad as it sounds because in the summer in the UK the sun gets up pretty early but mm. you know even still for a, for an eight-year-old to be sleeping at four or five a.m every day it's pretty much a, a miracle that I turned out to be so well balanced okay I was expecting Richard to say something <laughs> there um, I guess he's just overawed at my normality so I'll I'll move on um, but before I do, um, a quick diversion into the uh, worlds of text to image generation. Did did you say uh, sorry? Text to image. Sorry, I, I I think I might have drifted off a little bit. Well, that's insulting on two fronts. So, firstly, because you know, sleeping during the show, that's just rude. Um, but secondly, taking micro naps is just rubbing my inability to sleep in my face. Um, but I will soldier on because, you know, I'm a pro professional. Yep, absolutely no comment from Richard again there. So mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. we'll just get on with uh, text to image. Now we've talked about uh, this a few times this year, not in any great detail. So we've mentioned models like OpenAI's uh, DALI 2 and Google's uh, Imagine, which can put together really cool concept images from simple text inputs. You know, mm -hmm. you write a sentence and out comes an image. And more recently, I've been playing out with uh, playing around with Midjourney, which is a Discord-based public beta uh, service. And uh, to quote a friend of mine from a conference stage this week, I really hate Discord, um, yes. and I echo that sentiment. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, Discord is a bit like a, a Jack Kerouac novel. It's dense. It's impossible <laughs> to navigate. It seems fun the first time, but it's something that you decide you're never, ever going back to. Mm -hmm. um, funnily enough, um, I don't think Jack Kerouac did a lot of sleeping either, though uh, I'm not sure if that was uh, more uh, chemically induced as it was to do with insomnia. The, the babblings of a sleep-deprived madman. Uh, just for the record, Richard isn't aiming that comment at Jack Kerouac. Um, as, uh, as reported in Futurism, Google has uh, just released a concept paper and sample images for a new 3D image generator called Dream Fusion. Uh, now, 
let's go back to the kind of basics of what a text to image generator does. As I said earlier, you type a sentence, you type hiker meeting a tiger in the jungle. Now that's a real term that I use to generate an image with, uh, with mid journey. The AI takes those commands, including prompts for lighting backgrounds for visual effects. Mm. And it turns that sentence into art. Now, like anything related to AI, it can be a bit hit and miss. So you might find you have to tweak the terms a bit or simply repeat that original prompt until the machine's vision sort of more closely resembles that idea that you originally had in your head. Mm -hmm. Now, due to the computing and processing grunt that is required, creating 3D images is, of course, a lot more processor intensive than creating the kind of 2D images that services like Midjourney currently let you do. Right, and and on uh, last week's show, uh, we talked about you know Ethereum's merge and it, it's creating a glut of GPUs on the market. Wouldn't that provide some of that three uh, D imaging power? Well. I mean, I'm touched that you remember what we talk about during the shows, especially as <laughs> you, you drifted off earlier in this one. Um, I, I don't think it relates to this instance so much because it's not really about the local processing power. Uh, these images are created by neural networks in the cloud, or at least they are for now. Uh, mm. It's possible that we might see sort of hybrid models in the future. Uh, a lot of our mobile devices already make use of AI embedded on them locally, especially mm -hmm. for taking photos and then they reach up to the cloud for the more intensive tasks. Now, for general consumers, uh, tools by OpenAI and especially Google feel a lot more natural to use. Uh, so imagine if Google embeds text to image in its search page options, for example. You know, there's a, a really flat learning curve there compared to what uh, something like Midjourney is mm -hmm. doing, which, you know, brings us back to I hate Discord. Uh, you don't really have to, you don't want to have to learn a platform in order to use a tool. Mm. Um, you know, the, learning the platform that the tool sits on. So you're actually learning to use two separate things. So availability and accessibility can, you know, it's not always a given, but they can bring more success than just having a superior product that uh, has a much higher cost or adoption curve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Google has that enormous advantage in that millions of us use its marquee search product uh, numerous times a day. So when we look at something like the new service, DreamFusion, um, surprisingly, when they've done 3D modeling in the, the past uh, with a, a service called DreamField, they actually trained it on uh, OpenAI's models. But for DreamFusion, they've gone back in-house, they've trained the model using that proprietary Imagine system that we covered uh, a mm -hmm. couple of months ago. Um, and the way they're doing it is to they've, they've changed the process a little bit. So the images are actually rendered in 2D first, and they're then upscaled to 3D. And that helps to reduce that overall processor load. I'm sure there's people interested in this. You know, is there a beta that people can try? Well, there are links to the, the paper on GitHub. Um, that's in the show notes. There are lots of pretty images. They're not 100% realistic at the moment, which shows the stage that the project is currently at. Uh, at. But anyone who's been playing with Midjourney over the past few weeks 
can see how rapidly these services are improving. Mm. So Google isn't committing to any specific timeframes in terms of public access to the model, let alone when we might see it as a, a standalone product. But if they do get something that works in the near future, I mean, that's that's a game changer for game design. It's a game changer mm. for CGI and movies, as well as allowing consumers to create all kinds of flights of fancy, perhaps within our browsers. You know, one of the things that's lacking in the current model of mid-journey is the ability to return to characters or creations that the machine has come up with. You know, everything is is created that once and you can't sort of make a series of that character or, or whatever. So we, right. we talked about for example, uh, Respeacher last week, the company mm -hmm. that has uh, created a realistic Darth Vader text-to-speech model for Disney. So if you had a commercial version of Dream Fusion that had something similar to that, the ability to create individual entities and develop them, that really, as I said, does change the game. Mm. And as I said to a friend this week, uh, using tools like Midjourney or Dream Fusion means that He's not a designer anymore. He's a writer. Good point. Um, yeah, but um, another thing, uh, 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 are we not going to talk about um, Elon Musk's Optimus robot reveal like from last weekend? Uh, not today. We will come back to the bots fairly soon. Um, ah. there's, there's actually a piece about the launch and the convergence between EV technology and robotics on the Culture Pop Substack. Um, I, I talk a little bit there about the launch, um, but also a lot about the development of battery technologies uh, and that convergence with AI control systems. This is f helping to fuel the, the company's rapid advances with robot building. So mm. it's these links between electric vehicles and robotics. Uh, you can find that at uh, culturepop.substack.com. Um, I imagine that there'll also be something on Musk's latest flip-flop on the mm. purchasing of Twitter, or maybe there won't because at this point, Really, does anybody care? Right. Um, at the point that we recorded uh, this show, no one seems to have requested a pause for the trial that's based around uh, Musk trying to get out of the deal. Mm -hmm. So we may get to see Musk's lawyers fighting to get out of a deal that their client now wants to complete. Mm -hmm. um, you know, while in the background, the consortium of banks and debt providers have their own issues with the deal because current market conditions could force them to move ahead knowing that they're going to make a loss. Yeah. So, you know, it's this kind of Kafka-esque continuation of this huge story about a platform that only the people who write huge stories mm. cares about in any kind of way, shape or form. You know what? And, and that's virtually the whole first half of the show. And we haven't even started on sleep. I know, it's the mania, I keep telling you. Um, we will get into that after the break. Um, first, another quick story, but this one is about sleep. So a lot of people use those kind of white noise generating apps, you know, the ones that are supposed to help babies get off to mm. sleep. And now these have been shown to help people with conditions like uh, ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder. Uh, but a lot of people don't really like the sound of the white noise, which, especially when it's uh, played at high volumes, there's a lot of high frequencies there. 
so it's not a particularly pleasant thing to listen to. So this is where brown noise comes in. So mm -hmm. brown noise, um, it, it's not actually named after a color, it's named after a person, um, but it mimics the movement of pollen particles in water. So users claim that brown noise is a lot more pleasing than white noise because it has fewer of those higher level frequencies. So what you're left with is a kind of more muted mid-range kind of sound. And it's become this TikTok sensation at the moment with people documenting their responses to hearing it for the first time. I mean, if you if you have a TikTok account, just go and Google, uh, sorry, not Google, just search mm. for brown noise. Um, and there's lots of really cool reaction videos. And people are claiming that it helps to calm them, it helps them to drift off to sleep, and it helps them to concentrate more. Um, have you messed around with any of these kind of noise generating systems? Or yeah, yeah, I have. I mean, I, I've tried white noise and brown noise and, and even pink noise. I know that's another one. Um, but the one thing that actually works for me is, is simple. It's just the sound of the fan in my room. Ah, wind noise. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that works really well. Um, I've, I've tried most of them uh, as well. I've always hated the white noise stuff. Mm. Um, it actually makes me a lot more tense. <laughs> than, oh, does it? Than calm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I because like, th that static thing really gets me mm. going. Um, but while white noise has shown some um, clinical benefits for people with ADHD, it does have to be played at quite a high volume. I'll explain yeah. why in a, a little bit. Um, I have found, though, that the brown noise, some of it at least, is quite relaxing. Uh, I'm not sure if it's relaxing enough to make me sleep, um, but certainly we're not, we haven't seen any scientific evidence for brown noise at the moment. Um, although it's unlikely that it has any kind of magical properties that white noise doesn't have, it may simply be down to the fact that um, people find the sound more appealing. Mm. Um, and that's not a criticism. You know, when you like something, you're more likely to use it. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of what it's doing to the brain, um, as I said, the, uh, scientists have pointed out that white noise mostly has therapeutic uh, effects at higher decibel levels, where I find it really irritating. <laughs> um, but what you might be experiencing when you're listening to brown noise on headphones or your computer speakers is really just sound masking. The frequencies of the sound are simply blocking out background noise and allowing you to concentrate with fewer distractions. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. If it works for you, keep going. But as with using any sound, um, check the levels and uh, keep your ears safe because I am not a doctor. <laughs> Folks, don't nod off. Uh, we'll be back with better ways to sleep after the break. Of course, you're tuned into Matt's Plane here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Bribe free Malaysia? BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt's Blaine. So we're talking about insomnia today, specifically about advances in the methods of treating it. And I guess the first question is, is there a solution to this problem? 
Well, yeah, I mean, is there a solution to the problem or is it a, a, a solution in search of a problem? Um, I, I don't know. Um, it's Well, no, I mean, that's, that's unfair to say, I think. It's thought that up to a third of people have trouble falling asleep and or staying asleep. And that mm. staying asleep is just as important as falling asleep. Uh, I'm going to have to race through the stuff in uh, this half. Uh, for more depth, you can read a New Scientist article by Dave Robson titled, We Are Finally Waking Up to the Causes of Insomnia and How to Treat It. Again, I say this every time I read a New Scientist headline, work on your headlines, New Scientist. <laughs> um, while up to around... Um, so, yeah, as I said, sort of a third of people may have trouble falling asleep, but up to 10% uh, of people may meet the clinical definition of insomnia, which is that the sleep um, problems happen at least three times a week over a three-month period, and that they lead to cognitive impairments during the day. Um, they also have to be devoid of it, uh, external factors, things like, you know, crying babies. Mm. And one of the crucial facts about insomnia is that women are more likely to suffer from insomnia than men. And we'll get to the relevance of that um, in, in a minute. So as I said earlier, I've always been in the sleeping problem category. But I mm. mean, what about you? Which camp are you in? I, I'm terrible at sleeping. Don't get me wrong. I love sleep. And when I am asleep, it's <laughs> it's the most blissful thing ever. But I'm often awake at 4, 5 a.m., you know, and, and then I might drift off for an hour or so and then wake up again. But it takes me forever to get to sleep. Yeah, um, the, exactly the same for me. I mean, currently I'm in this pattern of falling asleep really late and then I wake up at 4 a.m. It mm. doesn't matter if I've been asleep for three hours or half an hour and then I'm awake for an hour and a half to two hours and then again I, I drop off and wake up at 9 a.m. and it's that thing you wake up feeling exhausted. Yeah. Like yeah. you've spent all night working to sleep. Um, and the worst thing is, when you speak to someone who doesn't have trouble sleeping, someone like my wife, mm. they just look at you with this baffled expression on their face and say things like, oh, why don't you go to bed earlier? Why mm -hmm. do you have music or a radio on? Mm -hmm. Because for them, sleeping means lying down and closing their eyes. Whereas for millions of us, sleeping is about performing some kind of really complicated magic routine that tricks our bodies so that we can sleep. Yeah. And this is also where that gender gap may play a part as well, because women are actually 60% more likely to experience insomnia than men. Uh, and this is something that we see across the board in kind of health and medicine. Health conditions that primarily affect women are more likely to be trivialized and they're more likely to be under-researched. Uh, of course, uh, <laughs> because this show has no gender diversity, um, you're <laughs> the only person I can ask. I mean, do you have, you know, kind of a set of sleep rituals or do you have a methodology that you use when you tried to sleep? No, not really. Um, I, I do remember a few months ago uh, when I was laid in bed one night, um, just like figure, trying to figure out why I couldn't fall asleep. And I know that sounds ridiculous and it would you know, help uh, create more of an issue. But then I kept saying to myself in my head, um, stop thinking, stop thinking, stop thinking, like a, a weird kind of yogic <laughs> mantra. And it actually worked, you know? I did that for like 10 minutes. And the next thing I, I realized, I'm waking up the next morning. 
And that for well, me was a kind of almost breakthrough moment. Well, we'll 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 get to that because that actually relates to to uh, some of the points I'm going to make a little bit further on. Mm. Um, and yes, um, it's it's not as counterintuitive as it sounds. So for for me, uh, the kind of magic recipe is listening to audio books. Right. Um, but it has to be a single voice. It can't be a multicast recording. There can't be any background music. Uh, if I find if there's more than one voice, I find that it you know, overstimulates my, my brain too much. Uh, the same with music. If I listen to music, I start analyzing it. Mm -hmm. I separate the instruments. I start looking at the separate parts. Uh, and of course, you know, things like radio, of course, there's normally more than one voice. There are ad breaks, there are jingles, music, news reports. Yeah. And basically that's what my brain sounds like with all of those things going off on top of each other at any given time anyway. Um, so for you then, I guess the audiobooks are kind of like your brown noise. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, a nice way to frame it. Um, with one voice, there's kind of a, a monotony. There's a tempo to the way that they speak. So you start to be able to predict those patterns. And mm -hmm. that allows my mind to sort of drift away. Mm -hmm. um, but it always has to be something I haven't heard before. Uh, if I try and listen to the same thing night after night, uh, I do that same thing. I drift back into thoughts. My mind starts working because I already mm. know what's coming next. So my mind isn't focusing on it. But, but none of this is science. Well, no, it's not. But I mean, it's explaining that kind of background to it. So one of the uh, things and that, that question earlier about, you know, is this a problem in search of a solution? Mm. Well, lack of sleep or poor sleep comes with some pretty high costs. Mm -hmm. um, there are the health costs, there's depression, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, you know, all the really fun stuff. Oh, yeah. But there are also a lot of economic and business costs. Mm. Um, Sleep deprivation is thought to cost some countries as much as 2% of their GDP. Wow. Uh, Sleep-deprived workers uh, reduce the, the number of working days. They reduce productivity. They may take more time off because of those associated health conditions. But until now, our approach to insomnia has been that kind of one-size-fits-all. Mm -hmm. You know, get yourself a better mattress, uh, improve the soundproofing in your room, avoid light bleed and electronic device screens, mm. you know, cut down on caffeine and alcohol. You may be prescribed sleeping pills or anti-anxiety medication. And all of that ignores the fact that the roots of those sleeping problems are not uniform. The reason mm. you can't sleep is not the same reason that I can't sleep. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking at me, I'm an alcohol and caffeine-free zone, and I can take a sleeping pill and, you know, zoom around like a Teletubby all night. Mm. Um, thankfully, you know, as we're seeing in so many medical fields now, we're moving away from this kind of monolithic approach. Mm. We now have the technology and the resources to look at tailored and individual responses that address the problem from the root causes of the patient and then help to kind of battle them and overcome them as they progress through that kind of therapeutic chain. Uh, are we talking about things like uh, battling the nocebo effect? Yeah. Um, so increasing amounts of research suggests that medications that regulate things like melatonin levels are largely 
ineffective. Um, they may have a, a short-term effect, but even that is uncertain. The same with um, benzodiazepines, the medications that are typically prescribed for sleep disorders. You may experience benefits if you use them you know, very occasionally, but less so if you depend on them regularly. Mm, now, mm. I'm not going to go into the chemistry of that. There's not really time. But that nocebo effect, yes. And this goes back to what you were saying earlier about the mantra. So mm. a lot of people with insomnia go into what's called a ruminative state at bedtime, which is kind of what you were describing. Essentially, your brain goes into overdrive when it should be trying to power down. So mm. it's not quite the same as catastrophizing, but it's easy to get locked into cycles of negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So during the daytime, you start to dread sleeping. And that's where that nocebo effect comes in, because you start to plan to not sleep later right. that night. You right, start right. to expect it. So you fuel and fulfill your prophecy. Um, and in fact, one of the interesting outcomes of the nocebo effect is a group of people that the New Scientist article refers to as complaining good sleepers. And these are people who actually sleep really well, but have convinced themselves that they don't. Huh. Um, can you just backtrack a little bit more for the uh, ruminative brain, a bit more about that? Yeah. So, um, okay. So you might just think um, it just means that people are having thoughts at bedtime. You know, we all have thoughts at bedtime. Mm. Um but this is when you go into a, a, a particular sort of mental state. Uh, research from the Netherlands Institute for Neuroscience, uh, it suggests that there's an inertia uh, that dem is demonstrated in the ruminative brain, in a, in a brain that is in this ruminative state. Um, right. It becomes fixed. Um, and so what you were saying just now about that mantra, that was about breaking the cycle mm -hmm. of that ruminative brain. Um, and often uh, you find that there's a corresponding anxiety arousal in the amygdala. Um, so you end up with being in this kind of negative state and with more anxiety around it. Um, and this chimes with research from 2019, which comes from Denmark's Aarhus uh, University, which showed that people with insomnia uh, demonstrate a reduced connectivity between the, uh, the, the frontal lobe, which is, you know, that control module of the brain. Mm -hmm. So this reduced connectivity between the frontal lobe and other re uh, regions like the insula, where a lot of that emotional information is processed. Right. So that means you can end up with these kind of greater problems in terms of moderating any stressful or emotional stimuli. Uh, so I suppose the simple question is, how do we fix it? Well, we're increasingly looking at behavioral therapies um, to, to kind of reform our sleep. And mm. I use that word reform deliberately because we're not trying to cure, we're trying to change the way we mm. approach sleep. Uh, these, of course, these therapies are structured, they're tailored strategies that work on the root causes of one person's sleep issues. So, so it really is about changing the way we as one person approach the task of sleeping. Don't you think that, well, that's interesting, but don't you think calling sleep a task might be 
part of the problem. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm desperately in need of one of these interventions. Um, <laughs> so one one approach is, or one of the main approaches is CBTI, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for right. insomnia. Um, and again, this is where we come back to um, that ruminative pattern that you were saying that you broke earlier. Mm. So CBTI consists of structural sessions where a therapist helps to devise strategies for the patient to identify and then break those ruminative patterns. And this is why it's interesting, uh, based on what you said, because one way for a lot of people to, is to actually focus on staying awake mm -hmm. rather than falling asleep. Right, which right. sounds as though it's counterintuitive, um, but it's designed to overcome the anxiety that comes from failing to fall asleep. Uh -huh. um, they actually call it paradoxical intention. So what you're doing is failing to stay awake, which yeah. is better than failing to sleep. Right, um, right. Studies have shown that this CBTI approach can uh, or does improve sleep in around 70% of cases, and up to 70% of people actually experience a reversal of their insomnia. Now, it's important to note that this isn't a cure in the sense that, you know, you have this therapy, you're never going to experience sleeplessness again. Um, researchers refer to it as going into remission. Uh, because if you kind of backtrack or whatever, you can slide back into those patterns that caused the insomnia in the first place. But the biggest holdup with this methodology at the moment is because there's an enormous lack of trained sleep specialists. There are thousands of patients for every trained specialist. So a section of the sleep industry is looking into whether digital tools, um, especially AI-powered apps, can deliver some or all of the benefits that uh, CBTI does. Uh, does this approach work, though? Uh, isn't there too much of that risk of download, try it, forget it? Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, a, a lot of us do that. We think, oh, this app is going to solve all my problems. Mm. And you try it once, you try it for a couple of days, and then, you know, you, you just don't go back to it. Mm. Um, and also, a lot of the apps that you try out, they're, they're basically designed just to take your money. They have very little interest in your experience or the results that you get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, the new scientist uses the example of a new app called Sleepio. Um, this is an app that's being uh, championed by health authorities in a number of countries. And it consists of a tailored AI-guided six-week therapy course. So first, it's not tying you into one of those pay-forever type structures. Uh, and it's approved by and actually usually paid for those health authorities or medical providers. Mm. So the AI works to tailor the course according to the data that you put into it. So this could be in the form of uh, a sleep diary. It could be uh, from a smartwatch or other wearable. And the trials so far have shown the app to be comparable to in-person cognitive therapy sessions. Um, so it does look as though it, it does have some kind of impact. You can go and sort of register for Sleepio and do like a basic version on their, their, their website. Mm -hmm. um, there are other apps that are coming out. There's one called uh, Sleep Space, which does things that are quite similar to Sleepio, but has some kind of neat additions that 
brings us back to uh, brown noise again. But Sleep Space will actually use your phone's speakers and plays bursts of sound at you throughout the night. And these sounds are designed to induce the the frequencies of the of the brain waves that are needed to experience that restful sleep. Do you see yourself uh, sleeping anytime soon? Well, like a lot of people with sleep issues, I spend an awful lot of uh, time thinking about sleep. I mean, how, I mean, you've said the same thing. How much? Mm. How often do you think about sleeping during mm. the day? Mm. All you know, the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's it's going through life wishing you were asleep. Yeah. So, you know, yes, I know that I will sleep tonight, but I don't know how well, I don't know how long I'll sleep. Um, but I hope that soon, you know, I will have the opportunity to try out some of these apps and these kind of therapeutic approaches. Mm. Because people shouldn't be spending, you know, a big chunk of their waking hours thinking about sleep. Um, and also because I would love to experience that thing that seems so easy to the majority of people to just lie down and sleep. Yeah. I, I Earlier on, Matt, you mentioned that, you know, podcasts seem to work with you and a singular voice and stuff that, you know, narration. I know a guy who could help you out with that. You, oh, do you not? No, it has yeah. to get... It has to be an audiobook. I can't do podcasts. I'm very sorry, but if anyone wants to listen to me drone on, um, I'm sure I can help them sleep. <laughs> Thank you very much for today's show, Matt. Thanks. It was uh, it was fun. Now, where can people find out more information? Of course. Well, I've already plugged the uh, the Substack uh, once, but yeah, um, you can check out the Culture Pop Substack. It has more information about the shows, uh, more on uh, some of the links for the shows, uh, exclusive content, and of course, it's free. Mm-hmm. So yeah, culturepop.substack.com. And if you did miss any part of this podcast as well, you can download it wherever you normally listen to it otherwise, or use that BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury on Matt Splain this week on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.